Let me check some things out because, you know, I know I raised you well, but I also know that there are other influences out there that I can't be so naive about that I fail to engage you at a pivotal point or moment in your life. Hi, everyone. This is Ross, your host of Bear Crawl with Dads. So true confession, I'm completely leveraging this podcast for personal and selfish reasons. You see, not too long ago, I became a dad for the very first time, but with that, an older dad. So the one thing that I know so far is that this bear crawl as a dad is not meant to be done alone. We truly need each other. So may this podcast be that for you. So come along and let's bear crawl together. All right. Hey, thanks everybody for uh, jumping in on Beer Crawl with Dads. Thank you so much for checking us out. If you're new to us, you know, we are a podcast to encourage dads to listen to dads, to hear their stories, to hear all the good, the bad, the ugly of what it is to be a dad. And for those that aren't dads, maybe the, you can get some insight. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for those repeat listeners. We really do appreciate you. Tonight, I am very honored to introduce a blast from the past, if you will, uh, a former <laughs> coworker, Ahmad. Thank you for being on Bear Crawl Dads. Awesome, man, Ross. Uh, thank you for having me and excited to be a part of what you're doing here, man. Awesome stuff. Excited about a platform that really speaks to the heart of dads in its totality. Uh, not just the beauty of it, but also the, the struggles that come with it. Well, I mean, I appreciate that. It, my intro to the show is that, you know, I'm a new dad. Uh, my yeah. son's going to be two years old. I'm an older new dad. And so I'm really leveraging this to go to guys like you that say, teach me your ways. What yeah. what, what works? What doesn't work? And yeah. what do you look back at? Like, I should have done that or this. Or, so there's a little bit of a selfish motive too to this. Yeah, but you, you are a dad though, right? Yes, sir. I am a father. Of <laughs> I'm kidding. I do know that. But I should have screened my uh, guest maybe a little bit better. Uh, so, whew. all right. You are a dad. But again, it it really meant it's just for, for you to... To hear your story, to hear your insight, and I'm not going to tell the audience, but yes, this is yes. your story to, to share. But what yes, you do as well, not only being a father, being a husband, and what all that means, but also too, yeah. again, for anybody that's out there, um, dads that are out there that maybe just a little words of encouragement uh, yeah, to say, sure. we got you, you're not in this alone. Ahmad, who are you? Who are you? Man, um, to be honest with you, just kind of describing myself. Man, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. uh, love the Lord. Bro, I am a husband of uh, Jennifer Washington, man. And we have two kids. I'm a dad. Uh, my oldest is 16, uh, a girl, Jade. Uh, and my youngest is 12, Jace. Uh, he's a boy. We got the two girl and a boy. And we was good to go. We had two accurate shots. <laughs> and we were good to go. Besides those things, you know, I, I teach a class on Sunday school called uh, Rooted. And the name, reason why I came up with that name was because I'm about, I'm at this stage in my journey where it's about faith. It's about family, fitness, finance, and fulfillment and building your future in a way that God is glorified that you leave a legacy, a complete legacy, not just a legacy of faith, not just a financial legacy or a legacy of wisdom, but all of that together, that more abundant legacy, you know what I'm saying, that you leave for your kids. And so, uh, in terms of the things that I do to express who I am in God, I serve at the Methodist Children's Hall as a lead advisor to the president. Uh, I've served at various, you know, in various capacities at MCH before, uh, mm -hmm. Methodist Children's Hall before serving in this lead advisor role. Uh, but that's currently what I do. 
You okay. can talk a little bit more about that later if you want to. Also, I have an organization, an LLC called Moving Up. And what I do is provide student enrichment services as well as professional development for schools that choose to contract with me uh, because um, I just believe that we really have to not only equip students for how to deal with the challenges and build resiliency in life, but also to equip the adults that are working with them to figure out ways to be more impactful and to be more influential in the lives of young people. So um, my LLC is devoted to that work and it manifests itself in different ways, musically, school assemblies, trainings, all those things. And then the final thing in terms of just things that I do, I serve at my church, First Methodist Church, Waco, where I serve uh, as a Sunday school teacher. I'm a, I'm a pastor as well and did help out with uh, worship as well, music wise. So I have some musical gifts and talents that I utilize in that in that respect as well. So, you know, overall, that's the the who I am, you know what I'm saying? Wow. And then those yeah. things that, that God has called me to do in this season of my life. So if you ever meet Ahmad and you say, hey, what's going on? Just be prepared because he's got <laughs> yeah, a lot going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's never lunch if you ask me that question. <laughs> there's never a dull moment. My gosh, that's exhausting. And you, and you have hair. You have a whole set of hair. Like, how does that happen? Yeah. Like, Oh, man, it's good genes, bro. It's okay. good genes. Okay, yeah. well, yeah. <laughs> we'll rub it in. But Ahmad, you know, it's definitely like everything that you're saying. It really is. It's your, your changing intentional paying it forward, yeah, changing yes, potentially the, a generation, investing in the lives and laying down a, a map for future uh, kids and your own kids, you're planting yeah. seeds. Uh, so really a selfless approach. Uh, yeah. It sounds like from what I'm hearing uh, in a servant's heart, it's amazing. And, and God has you where he wants you clearly. Yeah. Uh, and just for those that are listening who are outside of the state of Texas or outside of the country, but MCH is the Methodist Children's Home uh, yes, based. If some would say it's the Jerusalem on the Brazos. <laughs> Uh, I don't know why you're laughing, uh, I'm not, but, uh, it's uh, powerful. but, uh, Waco, Texas, and, um, I'll say the Methodist children's home serves just an amazing population and has an amazing ministry to change the lives of children who come from various, uh, backgrounds. And so just as a reference, uh, for yes, those sir. who don't know who the Methodist children's home and, uh, you know, in the show notes, I'll reference, uh, the Methodist homes website and also, you yeah. You, uh, Ahmad, your uh, website and a movement up. You know, listeners can hear more about you and, and about your ministry and stuff you're doing there. Um, and obviously, since this is a show, you know, for dads, new dads, older dads, dads that mm -hmm. have children that are outside the, you know, that are out of the nest. Uh, yeah. But we kind of want to start maybe if you feel comfortable, but just mm -hmm. to, to so the audience can get to know maybe a little bit, peek under the hood, if you will, of you. Yes, sir. Yes, um, sir. What is or what was your dad like and maybe your relationship with him as far as just to kind of paint that picture or perspective to the audience. To be honest with you, uh, when I, you know, have processed this, this question and these thoughts over the years, I've had to, you know, come to certain terms and realizations many years ago, as it relates to me and my dad, the only memories that I had of him were not pleasant. A lot of trauma involved in that uh, journey where he was both uh, physically abusive to my mother and emotionally abusive. As I've learned more about his history, mm -hmm. I've discovered that he was a product of his growing up uh, in terms of where as long as you provided for uh, your family, then it didn't matter if you cheat or beat on your wife because you were bringing a good paycheck home. And that, you know, that was just kind of what he grew up in. And so that mindset and mentality began to manifest itself in him. I'm most clear about it when I was eight and nine years old, uh, witnessing 
uh, here to my mother. It's a lot in terms of memories that I don't have because my dad was, uh, he was somebody who enjoyed, like we lived in Houston. So we would go to Galveston and I didn't remember, I didn't remember these things until I saw pictures, like literally of us in Galveston crabbing and him holding up these huge crabs that, that we had caught or he had caught it. And so I was looking at these pictures and the childhood trauma that I experienced was so deep that I did not remember any of these moments. Uh-huh. And my mother, had my mother not had any photographs, I mm-hmm. would not have known that those times even happened. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, in that sense, you know, the memories that stick are those ones that were most traumatic. One situation where he was so in anger with my mother after he had uh, hit her and she didn't respond like she normally did. He went and got a knife out of the kitchen as I was laying in bed, in their bed, sleep. I fell asleep in their room and this exchange was happening in their room. And, and when he came back in, I thought he was finna stab her. And he threw the knife at the pillow and it landed by my face. And at that point, you know, I think that was a definitely a breaking point, emotional breaking point for my mother. Uh, and maybe even a mental breaking point because she was on autopilot for the next week. She was taking care of me and my sister, cooking, cooking, doing her thing. And then at the end of the week, she just, she took the uh, Louisville Slugger back. My, my dad worked construction in Houston, had a long day of work, and he came home super tired. And she went, you know, rat-tat-tat-tat with the bat across the back. And she just went off on him and got him out of the house when I was nine years old. And, um, and kicked him out. And uh, that was the last I seen of him until I was a freshman in college when me and him had a conversation about some things. And that was a long process and a work of God that I'd, I'd like to get into a little bit later. If you want to, I, I would love to share that journey. But in terms of the origin story, uh, where where uh, my perspective and things came from, those experiences have shaped how I view fatherhood, how I view fathering, and how I do my life uh, in, in terms of as a husband and as a, as a man of God, as a father. Well, my, thank you for, uh, for being vulnerable and sharing that. And I think it's hard to hear, um, yeah. you know, that's something that for any child to have to go through, but, yeah. uh, but also too, for your mom to yeah. just get to a point where, um, you know, mama bears taking care of her cubs, yeah, yeah. doing whatever she had to do yeah. to take care of her. Is, is your mom still with us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mom is still with us. She doing well. She's proud of her son. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes she get mad at me because uh, I finished up at, at Baylor and she thought she her plan for me was to come back to Houston. I got God's plan for me Christmas Day and wake up. Hey, hey, I think the Lord was all over that with wake up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. Back to Jerusalem on the brazos. Yeah, yes, sir. but um, I didn't. I didn't realize because you and I really. I don't feel like we've had a conversation like that. I didn't know you had some yeah. Houston roots. Yeah, yeah. So Houston, Dallas, and California, where the, where the fam is most in the biggest chunks at. Um, but yeah, man, Houston, born and raised, man. Where'd you go uh, to high school? I went to Madison High School, man. Played yeah. football for them. Yeah, that's yeah. What's up. Yeah, okay, so, yeah, okay. Yeah, Marlins, the mighty Marlins. Let's go. Not <laughs> the Marlins. I didn't realize the whole guy said he said, yeah, okay, yeah, 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 man. H town, H town, yeah, yeah. Um. Well, so, so it relates to, with, obviously with your father, if I may, you mentioned the age of eight, nine, and obviously when your mom finally got to a point where, mm-hmm. you know, he did leave the house. Was it around when you were eight or nine? Yeah, it was, it was the last thing he did for me positively that I do remember was that he convinced my mother to let me play football. And that was, that was the last thing. And that decision, I got the opportunity to play football at Baylor uh, later on in my life. But so I will say, well, he, 
he convinced mom to let me play football. So that's a, that's, that was a plus for me, I guess. <laughs> Not a good exchange. I'd rather have a father than football opportunity, but <clears throat> that's the silver lining. Yeah, the silver lining. There we go. Well, and as far as, you know, I, from hearing your story, I guess you could take this next question either way, mm-hmm. but it's either what was the best advice that your dad gave you mm-hmm. or if I could, after hearing your story, what is something maybe from that, how's that impacted you maybe not to be or to be now that you're a father? Man, just in, in thinking about that question that you shared, I definitely relate to looking at it from the perspective of what I didn't want, want to be, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I didn't want my wife to feel the way that that I perceived my mother was feeling. I didn't want my children to look at me through eyes of fear. I didn't know what I wanted, but I knew I didn't want that. I knew I didn't want my my son feeling like I felt, you know what I'm saying? Well, I don't want my daughter, you know, feeling like my sister felt and, and things of that nature. So I just began to pursue life and relationships. I was moving forward. I just went in the opposite direction of what I seen him do. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, Did, mm-hmm, didn't have a destination, didn't have mm-hmm, a goal. Mm-hmm. It was just, let's get as far away from the example he was as you can possibly get. And so that was the initial phases of coming into being a husband. What does that look like? That was the initial phases of, you know, uh, having children or expecting children and and then thinking about, you know, parenting and, and, and the things that I didn't want to do. And so, like, I, that was my starting point. You know, and it, obviously, as I've moved forward, I've learned, you know, I've got some clear goals, clear sights on things. And so I'm no longer running from the past, but I'm purposely moving towards the future and the vision that God has given me about my family and uh, husbandry and fatherhood in particular. Because eventually, you know, and I want to point this out and yeah, just... God touched me with this was what I just said was when I first started, I was running from the past and running from what was behind me, but I wasn't moving purposely towards future. And so even if you are a person who has had childhood trauma, even if you hadn't had the example uh, that you feel like you should have gotten or deserved to get as a kid, eventually you have to transition from running from that to moving purposely toward a solid and clear vision that you have for the life that you believe that God has created you to be, to live and to experience as a husband, as a father, uh, moving forward. So, um, you know, that transition is a key point in making the rest of your days the best of your days because to spend a life running from the past, that's spending energy in the wrong direction and you're not going to build nothing that way. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, but that transition was key for me. And we, you know, I think that key word is transition. You know, like I'll say every story is, is going to be different, but what was it for you? What was that transition mm-hmm. moment like versus to somebody out there who keeps on running, like you yeah. said, maybe from yeah. the past, but where do you pivot? Where is man, that transition? Man, in terms of the, the, where that transition or that shift in perspective came where I was no longer staring at the world through my rear view mirror. Right. And began to look at this big window that was ahead, this big window of possibility was, man, just being around other dads that cared as much about being a husband and a, a good husband and good father as I did. Mm. You know, having, you know, identified community, whatever mm. that, you know, it's, it's, as it relates to being a husband and a father, because there are all kinds of professional communities, there are business owner communities, but there are not enough communities that have a space 
where men can be genuine and authentic in their journey as husbands and fathers. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so finding a space where those conversations were not only welcome, but they were they were shared, they were processed, they were prayed over, and they were checked up on. There was accountability in those circles. And so those were key things. That was a key transition moment or key tool for transition was finding community. You know what I'm well, saying? And so to pick at you a little bit, what was that community for you? Honestly, some of it some of it was found in the conversations I was having with people at work. It wasn't just about work. It was How's your family doing, man? How's your father? You know, so how's your, you know, your wife doing? Uh, man, what y'all do this weekend? And so it started with general talk like that, but then things began to get deeper. And then it was a few brothers at the church, you know what I'm saying, that just having those conversations, that not just checking on and, and seeing how the surface things were going or as those casual conversations turned to deeper conversations, which turned to deeper connection and deeper level of fellowship. So... You know, one thing that, that brings to mind, Ahmad, is, is the role of mentors or mm. the role of somebody stepping in, like you said, in your situation specifically, your biological father, really after eight or nine, I'm assuming it just wasn't present. So yeah. did you have some specific men, mentors that really spoke into you that words of encouragement, words of hope, uh, examples? Let me say it this way. After reflecting upon it, I had people in my life who showed up in different ways okay. that they weren't even aware that they were serving as an example. So my one of my coaches from Little League, Coach Danny, the Little Windsor Eagles, Pop Warner Football League. Uh, but Coach Danny Payne, you know what I'm saying? He was just a solid dude. Like he just, you know, was an encourager. He held us accountable, but he was still, like you can tell, he still cared about kids. And just, you know, was firm and encouraging. Like he was a manly man, but you could tell he had a heart. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So that was an example. And then one of my best friends that I grew up with stayed a couple of streets behind. His mother and father were married, great married. So I would go and be spending the night over there and seeing how his dad and his mom interacted. Mm -hmm. And so like, well, I called him Peach because his last name was Petrie. And I would just, instead of saying Petrie, I would, what's up, Peach? <laughs> Mr. Petrie, bro, he was a super solid example a father of husbandry and fatherhood that I was seeing. And so like those are two people that come to mind in my younger formative years mm -hmm. uh, that were examples that I was around constantly because my mom worked two jobs. With my father not being in the house, she started working two or three jobs. So sometimes I would not actually see her face until the weekend because she would work so late that mm -hmm. she'd get home by the time I'm asleep and she'd leave so early. Till I play games, do y'all homework, take care of business. And so I spent a lot of my years over at the Peaches house, man, when I was growing up. Are they, do you still stay connected with them? Do they know? Oh, yeah, 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 man. Yeah, man. They, yeah, they do, bro. Uh, Miss Petrie, uh, God rest her soul, she passed away some years ago. And uh, and Peach is still alive. And I kick it with Rohan, you know what I'm saying? He's got kids. He's a dad now. So we, you know, we had those conversations. And it's been good, man. So the connection and conversation is, and the love is still there. Well, because I was saying, like, I think sometimes those mentors, as people that played an influence in our lives, that they're still alive, you know, just to be able to say, if they don't know, to, yeah. to reach back out to them for the listeners, if there's something that's really uh, made an impression yeah. on you, yeah. is to just stop and text, to email, find them and just say thank you, because, you know, they need that to know. You know, anyways, I just didn't know if you- That's good. That's good, bro. Yeah. If you stayed in contact with them or not. So, okay, we're going to shift. Ahmad, dad, what has been your- 
greatest, now you might've said this, what have been your greatest challenge as a dad? Big question. Oh man, yeah, big Honestly, to be honest uh, with you, my greatest challenge as a dad is becoming self-aware. And the reason why I say that is because children, I would venture to say, you know, most children, I don't want to say all because I don't want to just sweeping, but most children are very sensitive to the ways that we express ourselves as adults, as their parents, as a father, with both my facial expressions and my voice tone. And so growing up in a house where, you know, there was a lot of screaming and yelling, I didn't realize how much of that was embedded in me until I became a father. And so there's certain things that you just pick up on, good or bad, that you're not aware of, that can be a part of how you communicate with others. So, and and your emotions could be getting high and you not even be aware that your facial expression and your voice tone has went a certain place, but your kid is feeling some type of way because of it. And so my greatest challenge has become being intentional about being self-aware, I've taken, you know, certain assessments that have helped me to engage that piece and to be aware of how I interact with people, in particular my kids. And so now as a result of that, it's it's helped me to know when my temperatures, because your kids can take your emotions to places that you never knew that could go. And so uh, I'm writing this down. <laughs> And I remember somebody telling me that a while ago before, you know, when me and my wife first got married, it was like, man, your, your kids can take your emotions to the highest heights and to the lowest lows. And so you have to be able to navigate that in a way that adds value to your children and also helps you constructively navigate those very emotional, emotionally charged times. And so that's that's been the key, bro. Like, that's been the greatest challenge of, being intentional about that to where, you know, weekly, honestly, I'll think about interactions or like being willing to say, I'm sorry to my kid. It was one time my son, it was something that was in the trash can that shouldn't have been. And I was like, that boy. And so I'm like, Jace, you know, get him in here, you know. And I'm like, no, did you throw this trash? This is good stuff. You just be throwing the trash. And then uh, my wife comes through and she heard me, you know, getting all to him. And she was like, oh, baby, Jace didn't do that. I did that. Bro, I feel like trash, man. <laughs> sure. But what I did was in that moment, I was like, I got on my, my son was real little at that time. So I got on my knees so I could get face to face with him. And I said, son, you know, dad, I apologize, man, for, you know, coming at you like that. You know, I just apologized to him. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And um, and said I was sorry. And, you know, you know, he even hugged me, forgave me and all that good stuff. But it was important for me that let me not apologize from a place of authority, but let me get down to your level, eye to eye, face to face, and show you that I am not trying to exercise any type of control or flex any type of authority on Abuse in my authority, yeah. Yeah, I need you to understand that my heart is humbled um, and that God has shown me that I'm all, you know, I was off kilter and that, hey, you know, so you, you're worthy of this level of respect. You know what I'm saying? Even as a kid, when something is wrong, no matter who's doing it, then there needs to be a genuine show of repentance and sincerity and, and change and an outward expression of that. You know, he needed to hear me say, I'm sorry. He needed to see not just me in my heart thinking I'm sorry or me trying to change. Oh, son, you want some candy? You want some? Give him something as opposed to 
just confronting the issue at that moment. Well, and that's huge because he could see by example, you're setting the example of what that looks like to be a, a man, to be a young man and, and to, to take ownership of your choices and being responsible, right? And, yeah, and, uh, yeah, sir. and, I, and I don't know if the disease, when he throws something in the garbage to this day, does he go, dad, is, is that cool? Is that, okay? <laughs> you got to let that go. Oh, but you got to <laughs> let that go. Well, my, you know, I think too, my dad would, he would, uh, there's a couple of times where it'd be like a good example to us. You know, yeah. I remember one time he got pulled over speeding and he was just like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But even though I could tell he was just so fuming, but yeah. he was trying to set that a good example of, Yes. Okay. I was speeding. You're right. I was in the wrong, you know, so it's yeah, yeah. kind of funny, but I was like, I, that's killing you. I know that. But anyway, but that's powerful. I think it's too for you to come to the realization of being self-aware. That's, that's yeah, huge yeah. because that's something I'm working in the schools. And I know you work with there in the weeds with me, but it, it, it there's that huge component of being self-aware yeah. of how you're behaving. But I wonder too, you probably learned that lesson. It sounds like the example you said through a hard Something happened, right? You had to learn the hard yeah, way. No, yeah, 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 for sure. Right. And yeah, and so now it's being, into, and then it's funny because as my son has grown up, he is a lot more like me. I had him take, we took the same assessment. Our ratings were literally the same. And so like, so now I would see, because I'm passionate, emotional, expressive, you know what I'm saying, with the things that I do, I'm very optimistic. So I would see him certain ways we were butting his as he's gotten older. Mm -hmm. That uh, I was like, oh, this is that part of your own self that you're dealing with. Like, you're cool as long as you're doing it. But when when somebody else is doing you, you know, so I'm and I'm also able to teach him the coping mechanisms and the management of my emotions skills that I've learned because we're so alike. So he's he process. It's not just him taking, you know, whatever assessment we take. And then we me and him sit down and we process and go through it and compare notes and we talk. And he's like, man, dad, so now we have a certain language. Like when I'm getting in a place where I'm trying to like regain perspective or control or kind of calm myself down, I get quiet. That's what we call the adaptive behavior. So it's like you're your natural self when you just not thinking, you just flowing, you just doing you. But then your adaptive is that place when you are either under duress or stress or in an unfamiliar situation where you start to adapt and figure out how to maneuver in this new space that you're familiar with or a place where you feel emotionally full or, you know, things feel a little bit uh, stressful or a lot stressful. And so he'll say, hey, Dad, you're adaptive, huh? I say, yeah, I'm just trying to, you know, get it together. I'm praying on the inside of my heart and my mind and just tapping into God so I can reset. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so And letting him have space to be in his adapter, too. If I know he's wired like me and he needs to kind of get quiet for a little bit, why would I go and try to say, hey, son, let's go sit down and talk about this when he's not ready? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I know he's not ready because I know how he is. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, it's that, that type of thing, too, is, like, trying to undo some of the things that maybe we did learn from our parents. You know, hey, you do as I say and not as I do. I've heard that when I was a kid back in the day from my mothers and my aunts. What if what you're saying and what you're doing is so off kilter that it makes me confused? Then what? You know what I'm saying? And and, and so so those types of things, man, that faulty ideas of parenting that maybe came from my mother or other adults in my life that was like, man, bro, like that's not really healthy. Like my son needs to see an example and he needs to see both a genuine and authentic example of me at my greatest, doing right. great things and also me and my lowest and how I maneuver through that and what does that look like? Because so often we try to shield kids 
from things. And now we live in a world where technology has taken all the all the gloves are off. You know what I'm saying? So in terms of shielding them from stuff, you might think you shielded, but really they get full exposure online or through a conversation they're having with a friend who has access to the internet at school or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the case may be. So um, that's a whole nother rabbit trail because I remember, you know, having to talk with my with my son, you know what I'm saying, about sex and stuff, 10 and 11 years old, because some mm-hmm. of those kids, when he got into pre-athletics, you know, it was certain conversations getting had that he never heard before. And so he was like, oh, my goodness, like, what is this? And so who he he coming home and instead of asking me, he going online trying to search. And, you know, I set up uh, uh, some things to where I get notifications. And so I'm like, oh, snap. OK, what's going on? And uh, you're like, and it's so time. It, it, it's, it's, I, I just was peeping game on, on terms of it's what I have my AirPods on washing dishes and um, my AirPods catch his iPad. Oh, and, so I don't think that's the faucet making that noise. Oh, no, no, no. It's, uh, you can come in 20 seconds. It's like, oh, snap. Hey, come on, man. And so, like, I'm running in here, you know, and like, what's going on? Where we here? So instead of me going off kilter with him, you know, and actually I was, I was praise God. My wife was super calm, bro. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like, she was just like, you know, baby, just talk to him. So we mm-hmm. sat outside. He was crying. He was upset. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, man, we just said, okay, um, you know, I just processed, you know, kind of where'd you start hearing it from? And, you know, he started sharing a little bit. So I had to, we had to go through this space like three or four times of having conversations consistently and persistently, like, you know, checking with him. Hey, what do the guys talk about in pre-athletics today? And he, you know, not say some little funny word, any little, you know, uh, nude wrestling talk or what they, you know, say what's going on. And so we would process and, and process to the point where, hey, hey, you got anything, you got a question about sex, bro, just write it down. I'll answer it or we can sit down and talk about it. And like every since being intentional about that in a short period of time, like now my son talks to me about absolutely everything. You know what oh, I'm saying? That's cold, and, 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 and so like, bro, it was that sitting down and being intentional and showing up, even on days where I've been working all day and I got decision fatigue and I really don't feel like pressing into this conversation, but I have to show up every day. And which is why prayer and time with God and spending time almost like a ritual I would do on the way in the house, I would be praying and I would literally wipe my hands from my head all the way down to my feet. And just like, Lord, I'm wiping out the issues, the worries of the day, the decisions that I made today. And Lord, I don't want to give my family leftovers because sometimes we as fathers can give our wives and our children our leftovers from a whole day of working and grinding and trying to build something and do great things in the community and serve others and build a business. And, you know, you pick whatever your list is. And then when you come home, if you're giving your family leftovers, then that's not that more abundant life that God has called us to. That's not who God has called us to be. And so like, so I would do that ritual like every day after work before I came into the house, right outside, you know what I'm saying, the garage and just leave all of that stuff there so that I could be aware, alert, attentive, engaged in conversations, not in my cell phone, not checking emails, you know what I'm saying, where it's that Mm -hmm. divided attention uh, type thing, bro. So... Yeah. Wow. That's so there's so much there to unpack a lot. Yeah. I, I, thank you for that, man. It's like, wait, gosh, my brain is popping because it's like a <laughs> one thing, the fact that you are such at a place with your son that he could just be so open and raw with you yeah, at yeah. such a young age. Yeah. I, I think that is such a gift. There's, man, that's such a gift to him. Uh, it's huge because I think generally, I don't mean to stereotype for a lot of guys, men, 
we keep our shield up. We don't want to be necessarily vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, we've got it all together, especially yeah. for a young man, preteen, yeah. that maybe yeah. start experiencing some things. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, the yeah. fear, oh, my mom and dad or my mom or my dad or yeah. saw this or exposed this. And then for them to come and railing at me. But it sounds yeah. like for what you did, it's like, I'm here with you. I'm yeah. with you. Let's navigate yeah. this together. Yeah. And so yeah. you created that trust, that bond, that safe yeah. zone yeah. Yeah. where now he's not going to feel judged. He's not going to feel yeah. like you're here to help him. And yeah. that's huge. Yeah. And it's such a gift because I remember, it, again, this isn't an indictment of my parents or whatever. But, you know, if yeah. there's something I was struggling with, if I got busted, yeah. if I got in trouble, I would feel yeah. horrible. And so yeah. I kept, I unfortunately, probably kept a lot of things you know, to myself. Yeah, yes. No, I, yeah. and it's and, and it's and it's really easy to because uh, I was, you know, I was emotional. Like my energy was up because I know what an early addiction to porn can do, or you know how that stuff can get you off and have you have a distorted view of your wife and what your sex life is supposed to be like, a distorted view of women, you know, and things of that nature. So I was like, kind of, my energy was high, you know, initially, and then when I had a, uh, you know, he was outside, so sitting in the backyard cried and I told my wife what happened and she and again the conversation with my wife she's the one helped me reset real quick I was still emotionally full from it because I'm looking at what it could be right. you know what I'm saying as opposed to just addressing that moment and she kind of helped me reset real quick was like babe you know what I'm saying you know how to talk about all this you've been working with kids and you've been doing stuff right. you know what I'm saying like you know how to approach this like you got it in you man just you know chill out and yeah express your truth but do it in a way because, you know, you know, Jace is like you and he'll get emotional and then his emotions will stop him from seeing the truth that's being imparted to him and yep. things of that nature. And so, like, just, you know, talking with my wife and utilizing that sounding board real quick. It wasn't even a five minute conversation. And then just, you know, uh, go out there and process with him and reset and then open the floor up to is there any questions you want to ask me? And he's like, Dad, when did you first learn about sex? Did you see pornography? What, you know, and so we had to talk about that. So mm -hmm. I talked to him about my experience, my journey and how I got exposed to pornography and, you know, how it affected me and things of that nature. And so like we had, you know, just some real, real talk, you know what I'm saying? That he, wow. of course, when I started sharing about my mistakes, his eyes lit up and said, like, what else you have? What else you have so weird? You know yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't feel too bad. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, man. Well, that's such a gift. And I, and I hope that's an encouragement to the listeners out there, you know, and, and uh, you know, because it also too, uh, what is your, you know, I know obviously your son's what, 12 now, but maybe just your experiences with the kids that you interact with through your ministry mm -hmm. or through the Methodist home. But yeah. you feel like, again, I'm not trying to stereotype, but yeah. I feel like with, for, for young men or for guys, we tend to open up when we're doing something together as opposed to, hey, let's stay hey, a mile. Let's go grab some coffee. What's going on? Man? I mean, like, <laughs> right. Do you, I feel like, like where I would open up with my parents or especially with my dad, it was through the yeah. act of doing something like yeah. literally throwing the football, throwing the baseball and then, or doing something around the yard. Then that's when I would start to open up and my guard would start coming down a little bit as opposed to, yeah. cause yeah. I definitely remember going through my, maybe it was puberty, honestly, like, cause yeah. you know, when you're zero to three, that's one of the most dynamic changes in a human's life. And then obviously yeah. during when you're becoming a teenager, because teenager. literally your body, the synapses in your brain are pruning and mm -hmm. you know, all these little, and yet, if you ask a middle school kid, why'd you do that? Don't mm -hmm. ask them that. Cause they, they really don't know. Cause yeah, yeah, for sure. Right. For sure. Because they're, yeah. it's, there's some physiological things that are happening, but yeah, but, but I definitely remember going through, Hey Ross, how was your day? It's fine. 
What'd you yeah, do? Nothing. Yeah. You know, but do you feel that like through the act of doing something together, people, guys tend to open up and I guess too, also to learn not only with your son, but also too with other, other men. Yeah, yeah, young people. Yeah. yeah. I would say, I don't want to make it seem like that. I would say that the doings of day-to-day life, because some of the best conversations I've had with my son have been during a drive when he's looking out the window and he just leans over and says, hey, dad, what you think about this? And that, like, it's so it's not me, uh, like, it, it gets, for boys especially, it gets awkward just coming in and just saying, okay, uh, uh, how's your, you know, how's your day-to-day, uh, like, trying to go through this list of best uh, parenting questions to ask when, if, when you're trying to engage your kid. You, you got that you know, app open with questions. Yeah, yeah, you're like, uh, um, uh, son, you know. And so it's like, no, it's like through the everyday Monday, sometimes it's just us reading or like you say, us throwing a football, or like with me and him, you know, we make music. So like I have a drum machine, I bought him one for Christmas. And so we're making beats together and just kind of talking, chit-chatting. Uh, when he decided that he wanted to do confirmation after service, me and him after confirmation class, we would go to lunch and just talk about, man, what is that? You know, what you think about that or like, you know what I'm saying? Like, how does that relate to you? Do you think that's true? Or do you just those types of conversations? And so like every opportunity that you're doing something with or around your child is an opportunity to engage them in a way where their guard is not up. When you go with the intent uh, of let's sit down on the bed and let's talk, right. kids generally put up a guard because no matter how cool of a parent, like I tell Somebody else, no matter how cool of a parent you are to everybody else's kids think you're cool, but your kids don't think you're cool. You know what I'm saying? And so like that's that's usually usually the way it works, because I'll go place like I, I went to um, my son had a um, region choir uh, audition this past Saturday. And so we go and um and when we get done and we'll leave it, when we was going there, he was like, Dad, you know, what I'm saying don't be doing too much. Don't be, you know, trying to. You know, yeah, 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 rah, 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 rah. He giving me my, uh, my code of conduct, uh, that, you know. And so, but when I get there, as, as soon as I get, his little friends come, hey, what's up, Mr. Washington? They giving me damn, they hugging me. And then I'm sitting over there talking to him. He's, mm-hmm. and those kids over there talking about, is your dad a rapper? I think he rapped at my school before. He's awesome. You know what I'm saying? And so I was like, I said, yeah, son, but I know, you know, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to embarrass your son. He's like, dad. Everybody thinks you're cool. So even with that, uh, just using those everyday interactions. Well, man, what do you think? You know what I'm saying? Hey, you know, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, what things I could do differently that might make you feel less embarrassed about me? Just like being silly, not like taking a serious conversation, but just any point that I can engage him in those mundane combos or maybe combos that don't maybe be as RSD. That lays relationship, that it invests in our relationship in such a way, builds connection to where when the deeper and the harder things do come to his mind, because we have had, I've, I've made an investment and made a deposit into our relationship bank that when those tough things come to him, he knows, hey, we done talked about everything else. Let him talk to him. Hey, dad, what's up with this? So like, how do you feel about this? What do you think I should do on this right here? Right. So it is a consistent intentional deposit being made into the relationships. And then I having two kids, you know, for a while when they really going through those changes and growing up and, uh, you know, daughter's hitting teenage years, son is, is hitting puberty, daughter already hit puberty and we're moving forward. And so it was like, uh, 
And my time was really busy because of the things that I was building and moving up. And so I was like, bro, like I at least got to give 15 minutes a day to each kid of isolated, focused energy and attention. And so like to some people, they don't seem like much, but to a kid, that seems like, bro, like, man, me and dad spent time today. You know what I'm saying? So I was being super intentional about that. And it's like, oh, this, and so the stuff that I normally would have did by myself, like run to the store and pick up some groceries. Yeah, it's going to take me longer to take them with me because they're going to be kind of walking all slow or, you know, whatever. But that is time with my child that I can't see it as a, um, man, I got to do this. No, I get to do this. I get to spend time with my child. I get to invite my son with me to go grocery shopping and to go pick up some cookies or to go do this or to go do that. And when you see it as something that you are to be thankful for, as opposed to something that you have been burdened with, then, you know what I'm saying? It gives you a whole, whole shift on it because, um, you know, it's just important. And I, and, and I know it's maybe harsh for me to say, but there are some people, just the language that they use in terms of how they reference taking care of their kids. Sometimes I'm like, bro, these are your kids. Like you talking about them, like you the babysitter, like, come on. You know what I'm saying? Like you need to reset your language because your language, the words that you have coming out of your mouth probably are indication to the way that you act when you engage in your kids. It just, it it gets deep. You know, some people don't want to take it there, but I think it's important to just be aware of what is the language that you use to describe how you approach and how you view and how you value the the interaction with your children. Well, and, and, and something, you know, but you kind of go in there being, again, that I'm a, a new older dad. So many of my friends that have kids that are now in college or high school, they go, when they found out that I was uh, going to have a baby, they were like, Ross, it goes by so fast. Yes, it goes by yes, yes. so quick. Yeah, like, yeah, bro. in fact, my brother-in-law, even like, I remember after I think when Ford was first born, he just showed me like a video on some text messages, for like the pictures of his daughter, my niece. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, boom, boom, boom. And then now... Literally, he was driving up to to drop her off at college. And mm. so his point was, I guess, maybe kind of what you're saying there, too, that quality time. And that's another thing I've been kind of picking up on a lot of my, some of the episodes is that it's kind of been bubbling up. It's it's the quality. It's the time. It's the quality. Yeah. Like you said, whether yeah. it's running to the store to go pick up something or whatever, it's yeah. just the fact of being in their presence or their, or their being is. in your presence. Yeah. That quality time. Because, yeah. again, when you blink. It's gone and you can't bro, get that time back. Bro, bro, I can't tell you how many times being a caseworker at Methodist Children's Home, before I was serving as a pastor, I was a caseworker at Methodist Children's Home. I would leave, you know, my office door open and kids, young men would literally come into my office and just sit on my couch. I was like, hey, bro, you need something? You good? What's going on? And he's like, nah, I just, just it's, a, it's okay if I just sit in here. Some of them have just never sat in the presence of a man. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and just chilled out. And they just really, just really wanted to be in my presence. And it's some of those young men, you know, a lot of those young men that still call me, they've got children now, you know, when they come down to visit Methodist home, they want to, I take them out to lunch and, hey man, how's, you know, life as a father, if they have, if they not married and how did, you know, being a father and not being married, what are some of your struggles, challenges, what would you like to talk about? And so those types of things to where even now I'm still fathering young fathers who, you know, who are, who are trying to get going and, and trying to figure out this thing and, and want to build a legacy, but, but don't know the first thing about it because the legacy wasn't passed to them. They're, they're starting, you know, from ground zero with some of this stuff and getting it out the mud, you know? So it's that type of thing that, you know, just the conversations. I had kids that still call me pops, 
to this day and and they come by and they spend Thanksgiving with us and and go on trips with us and and they see me as their dad just because I left my office door open and and said, Hey, this couch is always a place that you're welcome. You know what I'm saying? And and uh and they would come and hang out and you know, you know, yeah, anyway, man. So just things that we sometimes we make spending time with our kids harder than it needs to be. Uh, it, you know, especially some of us that are overthinkers and over planners, because sometimes you're like, man, I want to have this activity together. Man, yeah. wanna, this would really be fun to do with them. And then you get out there and they unengaged and they just seem bored and you feeling dejected and rejected. It's like, man, no, just, you know, all right, let's not, let's not, you know, if that happens, don't take it personal. It's not you, man. Hey, what you want to do? Hey, dad, I just really would like to just go for a ride. So me and my kids started doing what we call night rides. And so it's a Bucky's about 30 minutes away from our house. And so after homework's done on a, on a Friday, uh, sometimes maybe on a Saturday, but mainly on Friday nights um, or Saturday night, I'll keep it there, was that we would, um, you know, be back like 9, 10, 30 at night. And then uh, they have their pajamas on. And then um, we would go drive to Bucky's and talk. So we would talk for the 30 minute ride there. They could get any two items uh, out of Bucky's. So everybody's <laughs> limit was two. So if you got two snacks to eat, then you can get no water. You better bring your water from the house. But, it, you know, they would get their two snacks. They would snack and we would talk on the way back. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so we, we would do like, you know, family night rides. Yeah. And so, um, and, and so, yeah, just it was just little stuff like that. There was something creative, something that helped them kind of gave some like excitement to them because, like, oh, we don't have to be in the bed. And then the conversation, you know what I'm saying? Whatever you want to talk about, like, how's life? How's your friends? Like, you know, who are your enemies today? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, just whatever they wanted to talk about. Sometimes it was about faith and being a Christian. Sometimes it was about athletics. Sometimes it was, you know, about whatever. And that's the thing. And I would have my little questions that I would ask them. But yeah, so, and that took nothing. That just took me. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I really can't even tell the, like the, the genesis of that idea, but it's like, man, you know, y'all want to go for a ride? And it was like, yeah, cool. And then they named it the night rides with dad. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, you never know. You never know, man. How, what even just that, yeah. like fast forward 20 years from now. And you, if you ask your daughter or your son, like, what do you, yeah. when you remember your dad, I remember the night rides. I remember yeah. that special time with my dad. But what you're doing, that intentional pause, mm. to spend time with your children yeah. is invaluable. So I do mm. want to encourage, again, the dads out there for even the bombs. I mean, mm. you're not, I think there's something about the power of, I think a sacred time, whether yes. you're religious yes. or you're not religious, but a sacred time is around the dinner table. Um, is to me, that is, that is a holy ground. That's sacred space to sit around the dinner table together as a family, phones aside, look yeah. at each other face to face, having conversations. But then again, marking out a specific time like you're doing uh, with your children to do a Bucky's run, I think is huge. And so yeah, start that yeah. now. You know, my dad, you know, for whatever the lofty positions he was in New Orleans, you know, he took the time. One Friday night, it would be a date night with me. You know, Ross, whatever you want to go do, it's you and me. And then yeah. for my two, my two older sisters, all right, Jill, it's your date night. He, he, would, open the, he would open the door for her. He yeah. would open up the door to the restaurant to her because also yeah. too he was establishing yeah. what, how she should be treated Amen. and to not yeah. settle for yeah. anything less than a man that they uh, that was pursuing her. 
hey, I'm going to spend the time, but I'll teach you, I want to set the example. And, um, and, and of course, he would tell me, he goes, Ross, if you ever, ever were going to say something to mom, that's that you come to me first because you're never going to disrespect my wife. Yeah, um, and yeah, so he, yeah. he laid down the law that like, you know, that's my wife. You don't ever disrespect, you know, so I was like, yeah. okay. You know, so I had that healthy yeah, yeah, fear yeah, of that. Sure. I just want to mention yeah. that too, again, for, for dads out there or for moms that carve out that time of it just being intentional, you know? So that's really cool. That's that, it, bro. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but on that, and I know mm-hmm. speaking a little bit about your son, but like with your daughter, yeah. I mean, obviously she's now in high school, yeah. but to dads out there of daughters, mm-hmm. that's a different thing. And and then mm-hmm. there's like it ebbs and flows from what I'm yeah. hearing of when a yeah. father really needs to step in, when a, when yes. a mother really yes. needs to step in. And yes, you know, hey, this is when dad needs to step in to be like, yeah. I am to be the example, not only of what a heavenly father, uh, but also yeah. to, to be uh, what it means to like, to love you, Ahmad, my wife. Yeah, and yeah, here's yeah. how I treat her because I'm going to be an example. But what is that like, though, to raising a daughter and the challenge is that? And how have you had some of those tough conversations maybe with her? Yeah, man. Oh, no, nah, man. Yeah, for sure. Because you live in a day and time, too, uh, with technology where somebody will try to get you to send an inappropriate photo or somebody will try to, you know what I'm saying, uh, engage you, you know, online in, a, in an unhealthy way or a sexual way, an appropriate way. And so helping, you know, you don't have any privacy as it relates to X, Y, and Z. Like, I, you know, let me see your social media. What are you posting? What's your account? I'll get information. Let me check some things out because, you know, I know I raised you well, but I also know that there are other influences out there that I can't be so naive about that I fail to uh, engage you at a pivotal point or moment in your life. You know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, and so, uh, and we don't get to pick when those pivotal moments occur. That's another thing as a parent. Unfortunately, you can't decide when your kid gets exposed to X, Y, and Z on most cases. So that means that, you know, engaging those conversations, uh, especially, you know, when you, depending on how your kid's wired, because some kids are like my daughter, she's like super like athletic and competitive and high energy, just real strong. She's my first kid. We lost our, our very first child we lost. She's our second technically. And so like, wanted a boy at first. So like I roughed her up. Like, so she is strong. She had super duper calf muscles when she was a kid, you know? And so it was just, we were just active and engaged. So like her having to process her emotions has been difficult for her around certain things, especially as boys have shown interest in her. And then because young men are kind of trying to navigate who they are, they come back from the summer and they're like, Hey, I don't want to be together anymore. And it's not that anything's happened. It's just that they've, you know, they're they're going through, some, you know, changes and developing and growing and whatever case may be. And so um, helping her understand that your value and your worth does not come from them. It comes yeah. from, you know, it started kind of early uh, with uh, we were uh, she was going to school and she had braids. This one little boy, little white boy had said something real negative about her being black and having braids. And so she was come home and she started looking at uh, the the different little uh, white girl images of their mm-hmm. hair and started mm-hmm. wanting hair like that, white mm-hmm. hair like this. And so she she was like hurting. And so I bought a book that was called I Am Black, I Am Unique. Mm-hmm. And so every night, along with the Bible, we read that book. It was a little short book and it had all kinds of different 
black kids from light skin to dark skin to thick hair to red hair to different mm-hmm. color hair, like all these kids. And so I am black. I am unique. I'm a woman. And it was, you know, and we would read that. It was a little short book. And we did that for a year mm. every night when she and dude, when we later talked about that, when she would that happened when she was in elementary school, when we later talked about it at 11 and 12 years old, she does not remember a time when she wasn't confident about herself. Wow. Like she said, Dad, I don't even remember that. I wow. said, yeah. I said, I know. I said, and so like being a, you know, man, it just even just that of embracing who you are, your identity, like you are beautiful, you are amazing, you are just, you have something special to bring to the table, you know, just validating those superpowers, but also, you know, we process weaknesses and the struggles and how to improve. But man, just like affirming, like the leading, leading with the gifts, instead of focusing on the detriments. And once we do that, so it's those conversations, it's telling my daughter now that as she's getting older, man, like, you look beautiful today. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, you know, that affirmation and opening up doors for her, or, hey, you know, dad, can you do this for me? And then going and serving her, you know what I'm saying? In terms of like, you know, making us a macaroni and cheese and bringing it to her and blessing her, you know what I'm saying? And so like, to some people that's, you know, I mean, it's not what the dad should do. Nah, bro. Like I want to, I want to teach, you know, we ought to, you know, love our wives as Christ loved the church, which she sees me doing on a regular. Right. Then, then, you know, what does that mean? Christ, you know, he sacrificed, he served in a way right. where he put, you know, put himself in a certain position to, to honor his bride, you know what I'm saying? And so, and I want her to, to see that example. So being super intentional about those conversations and being a place in a space where we can talk about stuff. You know, she talks with her mom more about like the boyfriend stuff or when somebody's interested, but she's starting to open up more to me about like, hey, you know, so-and-so told me so-and-so likes me. I said, well, what do you think about that? How do you feel about it? Instead of me immediately going off of like, who's this boy? Who's it? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I'm saying? we're going, we going patrolling. You know what I'm saying? Patrolling. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's, that's, that's what's up, bro. So, but it's, it's different uh, in terms of because uh, some women can be so wounded by a relationship that they go on a, a tear when they are making some poor choices in relationships as a result of pains that they have not processed and, and worked through. You know what I'm saying? And so really be, doing more question and listening with my daughter has been more important than me just giving super amazing guidance. You know what I'm saying? Well, with yeah, that, are, are, are you a, you know, again, I don't know if this is most dads. I know my dad and maybe that generation are fixers. They want to fix things, you know, and I remember, yeah, you know, yeah. and again, I, I referenced this one time in one of my shows, you know, my dad and I, you know, he, he's not a, he's not a, uh, he did, he was a marathon runner, but he didn't know basketball or football or golf or tennis. So we couldn't really relate through that. So, you know, how can we, how can I bond with my dad? So it was like, let's go get barbecue. So when I was living in Waco, we would go drive and hit barbecue places. And yeah, yeah. I remember we were, uh, here's a little shameless plug, but uh, one of my favorites is uh, Louie Miller's in Taylor, Texas. And so we were sitting at Louie's and, and dad, I was telling him, uh, it was like, I think it was a, a girl problem, whatever. And he jumped in and wanted to fix it. I said, dad, you know, I'm, gonna, mm-hmm. I'm an adult. I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to listen. Mm-hmm. And he gave my dad props. He's like, you're right. He just, and he just listened. Yeah. I just need you to, I don't need you to fix it. I just need to get this off my chest and just be able to like share that with you, you know? So, but I think, you know, to be able to, I don't know about you and you're mentioning, you know, obviously with your daughter, just listening to her, you know, it, 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 you talked about self-awareness, you know, so yeah. when do you kind of just pause, let your child just talk, 
Well, part of it, my kids would tell me, because I, I can, I got vision sometimes and I can uh, stretch things out to like try to look and see what the potential endings could be. So I don't know if you're a Marvel fan, but, you yeah. know, uh, you know, some people aren't. And so, but uh, it was the place where Dr. Strange looked at all the alternate endings of this situation. And so sometimes my kids make a comment. I said, no, you got to watch out for that because that could lead here or it could lead here. And they're like, oh, my God, Dad, like, this is not that deep. We're not trying to, we're not trying to, uh, I I just, this is just something that happened. It ain't like, Dad, come on, chill out. Like, why you always got to take it there, Dad, to where, you know, try not to look too far. So they're keeping you a check. Yeah, so they're keeping me in check. But in terms of the the fixing stuff, my wife dealt with that because I used to be, Trying to fix it. And then she was, she would get done, you know, sharing. And I noticed like she wasn't really into what I was saying afterwards. And she was like, she almost all, all, just her processing it. She had a solution, you know? And so I, you know, so I learned through my wife not to try to fix stuff. But now I'm learning through my kids, you know what I'm saying? Uh, like, unless my wife specifically asked me, hey, I want your advice on this. You know, uh, and, yeah. and so like yep. she would ask for what she wanted or what she needed. If she didn't ask that question, then I knew she just wanted me to listen. Yes. And so I just I just waited for my cue. And if the cue didn't come, I just like, man, let's, I, you know, learn how to get a listen sound. Uh-huh. Oh, man, that's interesting. Oh, that's cold blooded right there. I have my listening, <laughs> my listening responses together, man. And so uh, I um, and so, so you, got, I, you, you, you got an app. <laughs> You got an app to ask your question, your kids your questions. Did you got an app to respond to your wife? <laughs> and, so, uh, uh, and so with my kids just learning that that place of like, okay, bro, like stop trying to like, you know, put you know, predict where this could go or where the alternate end is. Just be present in the moment. Be present in the moment. I know that you're trying to raise them so that they become productive adults who add value to not only the world, but every environment that God blesses them to tread. And so, like, I know you try to do that, but every move is not meant to, to be thinking with that end in mind. It's just be some of it is like a lot of it, actually, be present in this moment. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, be and, that's good. And, and, and so that's uh, so that's what they taught me is it's not trying to feel up. Be telling these long, you're on that possible ending stories. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Good thing yeah. that I'm not into the Marvel stuff, though. So yeah, 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 yeah. That's what up on me. Good, that's good. So as far as with with what you're seeing, and I guess, too, you know, obviously working with, with having two kids, working with the, at the Methodist home, mm-hmm. you know, and again, this is going to be kind of like a macro question. Yeah. But what do you see is, is the biggest challenge to dads out there? Or what's been your greatest challenge? I mean, I know you talked about self-awareness or something that yeah, you... Yeah, for sure. Man, I would say the the greatest challenge in terms of current society, uh, and we're maybe coming, I don't know where we are in it, but there was a thing where, you know, it was heavy against what that was considered toxic masculinity. Okay. So, like, we're in a space where we're trying to reassess what does it mean to be masculine, and I would say a lot of those conversations are being um, done without God and his purpose and plan for manhood 
in a conversation. And so it's important. The greatest challenge is understanding that manhood is not this or that. It's, uh, I would say it's more of a this and that because I've had to learn and I've seen other brothers that have had to learn as a man in this current world in which we live, appearing like you have it all together when you don't have it all together is a stronger turnoff than just being authentic and being honest. Okay. You know what I'm saying? In terms of your kids, especially, and in terms of the other people who you might have the chance to impact and influence their life as a, as a positive male influence, you know what I'm saying? And positive male role model, surrogate father, whatever term you want to use. Okay. And so, man, it's, it's just being in this world of where all of these different ideas and concepts of manhood have got some people just afraid to step in and be a father figure or to be an, an encourager or to be someone who, who steps in the, the gap that is present in so many people's lives, especially young people. You know what I'm saying? Because sometimes just being willing to have a conversation with a kid on the stoop in, in passing or just saying, hey, what's up? Because sometimes I'll pass, you know, it's kids that I've just, boys in my daughter's school that I've just said, just been intentional by saying what's up to or just saying, you know, giving them a little dab. And now I was uh, standing by my uh, my daughter and we were waiting for, she had just finished a basketball game. Young man came over and said, hey, Miss, you know, hey, Mr. Washington. And he stuck his hand out and gave me a handshake. It was, yeah. and she was like, dad, that was cool. Like, he just, I'm proud of him. He just took initiative and said, what's up? But she don't know that I've invested in that relationship by simply speaking, by simply asking him, you know, how was school today or how's football practice going or what's some struggles you having? And just real quick conversations. And so we don't, the biggest challenge is for us to step in on those moments because sometimes we think it's going to require too much of us. It's me like, bro, I got enough going on. But bro, you don't realize that the smallest step can make the biggest impact inside of somebody's life. In a world where people just need a smile, encouraging word, or, you know, something positive from the lips of a man. You know what I'm saying? The expressiveness and the encouragement of a man impacts so many young people's lives that I can't even give a, any data on it or anything like that. But I've seen it, it's not just in my life personally, but other people and other young people that I've talked to. It's like, man, when Mr. So-and-so would talk to me every day in class, like for five minutes, bro, like that really, that was important for me. Mm-hmm. And so like, so the biggest challenge is just showing up. That's kind of what the conversation boils down to, showing up and being, I guess we're back to being present again in those deals, man, because it's, we just live in a world, bro, where it's, you know, I've seen a lot of men kind of shrink back, you know, from being the man that they feel like they were created to be. That's a hard place to be, but I know the call is still there for us to, to step up and to be a light and to be hope, to be encouragement, to be firm and nurturing. Men can be firm and nurturing, whereas before, Historically, it's just like you the firm, you the disciplinarian in the house, you the this in the house. And it's like, no, like some of us, the challenge is, can you have a conversation? If somebody listening to this right now, they're going to be like, bro, I cannot sit down and talk to my kid like that. Okay. That's something we need to work on. Because if you don't sit down and talk to them, somebody else will. And whose influence would you like for them to have? Yours or this other person? You know what I'm saying? And that other person, and depending on what neighborhood you live in, that other person 
may not be very desirable for your kid to be being influenced by. And so like, it, you know, it, it means doing the hard work of breaking down false ideas and perceptions that I've had about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a father in this day and age. So, yeah. so it sounds like you're saying like need to step up. Yeah. So stepping up and then some that are afraid to step up or how do you encourage those dad or men out there to feel like it's too late or because of my past wounds or my past scars, I got nothing to give. Right. I mean, what would you tell those guys out there? And I would say, bro, even when I think about my past and where I came from, I have every reason not to be the father and the husband that I have been able to become as a result of my surrender to Christ and my willingness to do the work. It's not just the spiritual, but there is a physical a work or acts of obedience that I had to do in order to grow past that. And that's the thing is that my desire for creating something better for my wife and for my children was stronger than my fear of the failure of that. That was the thing was that, man, I wanted to be the husband that when I'm doing what I'm doing, my wife is looking at me like, that's my man right there. Ooh, yeah, you know what I'm saying? I wanted to be that person that went, especially when I start working with young people. I don't want to be a blessing to everybody else's kids, but then when I come home, my kids can't stand me. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Or don't feel like they have a connection or don't feel like, you know, whatever. So that was the thing is like putting my family first to the point to where I was willing to make the sacrifices I needed to make in order to grow in how I engaged and participated in the family relationship and dynamic, even though I didn't have a clear example. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so um, that's the thing too, was just like, bro, like I just would encourage you that it is possible. Like man, the fact that me and my son are able to have a conversation, I don't recall any conversations I had with my father. Man, that's a win for me, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like, even if it was just at the conversation level, that is a win for me. The fact that my wife comes home and maybe she was out and about with some friends and then she come home and she like, man, them ladies, man, I ain't gonna hang with them no more because they talking about how they just, they husband get on their nerves and this, that, and the third. She's like, baby, I really enjoy being with you. Like, we my best friend. We, we good vibes. Like, you know, I never not want to hang out with you. You know what I'm saying? And so like, it's like, man, that's what I want. You know, when these kids come and they hang out with my kids, the, the former kids from the Methodist home who are now young adults who come and spend time with us, they're like, man, your pops is, your dad is awesome. And they're like, man, yeah. And they'll come back, back to me and be like, man, dad, like, man, I'm glad you're my dad. You know what I'm saying? Like, you my dad for real. Like, you my dad, dad. Like, you the dad figure to them and they, they call you pops, but man, like, you ours. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, where they feel a sense of pride and feel support and feel like, man, uh, if he's there for them, I know he's going to be there for me. That's the thing. So it is possible. It is doable. But it is hard work. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to, like, sugarcoat it. Praying about it is not enough. It means being intentional and deliberate about taking action. And right. even when those actions do not yield the outcome that you want immediately, you have to still show up and till and work the ground of that relationship that eventually, you know, that seed can either be planted or it can be nurtured or it can grow, whatever it is, whatever stage of the game you in. It's like, man, 
you never know that that your child, your your the children or the young people that you may come across in your life just waiting for you to have a conversation with them, just waiting for you to engage them. Well, I think I go back to what you said earlier when your son perceived to throw something in the garbage. Yeah. It was your wife. You went and you got on his level and you apologized. Yeah. So yeah. one thing that jumps out to me about that story is for dads out there who like I've screwed up, yeah. you know, with my kids, you yeah. know, whatever that is, or, uh, you know, say, just humble yourself. You be the man, you go first and ask for forgiveness or to apologize, yeah. to reconcile, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you never know that act, you know, yeah. uh, could change, you know, what that, what that could do, you know, in your child's life. Bro. And let me say this too. Um, and this is going to tackle double back to close out the story on my father. He came back into my life when I was a freshman in college. I had seen him when I was from nine until my freshman year of college. And so I had come home for Christmas break and my, my uh, mom was like, Hey, um, your dad's in the other room. And man, bro, uh, she didn't tell me nothing. So I was just like, he ain't my dad. Like I was angry. I was bitter. Uh, we sat in there. He was talking to me about, man, I've been watching you play sports games to some of your football games in high school. And I didn't know that all that stuff. And so I'm sitting there and I'm pissed off. And he gave me some, uh, I guess it was a, a family heirloom that he had. It was these really valuable plates that he was wanting to give me or whatever. And, uh, man, I started breaking the plates, man. I was like, bro, you ain't, you ain't my dad. You just a sperm donor, bro. Like, you know, it's not even a connection like that, man. What the hell are you doing coming here to talk about this stuff? Like I was really angry and I want, I had drove down that day. I wound up driving all the way back to Waco that same day because I was so infuriated, you know, not angry with my mama, but angry with him. I wasn't even like the thought of being angry at my mama wasn't even crossing my mind. You know, I was enraged at him. And a couple of months later, man, my mom called me and she's like, hey, I need you to come down, you know, again. Actually, it's about six months later. And I said, what's up? Uh, she's like, man, your, your dad's in the hospital. I was like, that fool ain't my daddy. You know what I'm saying? She's like, nah, I really want you to come down. And she nearly begged me to come. And so I went. Well, when I went, he was in the hospital in bad shape. And come to find out he had contracted uh, AIDS, HIV, which oh, turned wow. to AIDS. And he was he was dying. And so I just came in there. I didn't say nothing to him. I just looked at him and my mom told me what was going on. And so um, I hugged her, kissed her, and I drove back. Well, that night when I was driving back, man, I smelled the smell of death, bro. Like, literally. I stopped my car four times on the way back from Houston to Waco because I thought I had ran over something. Yeah. And when, when I got back, and it was nothing. I hadn't run over anything. When I got back, man, the Spirit of the Lord was convicting me so heavily to go back and pray for him. And to pray, you know, the sinner's prayer over him, like ask him if he's accepted Christ as his savior. Mm-hmm. And uh, and man, so I'm wrestling with that, bro. Like I could not sleep. I literally, you know what I'm saying, got back in my car the next day, was still awake, had stayed up the whole night wrestling with this. And I drove back and I began to cry and to pray in that car by myself as I was driving. I forgive you, Lord, I forgive him in the name of Jesus. Help me to forgive him. Like I was just praying. And every thought of negativity that was popping in my head, I kept just saying out loud, I forgive him. I forgive him, Lord. Lord, you know, just just how it was coming out. And when I got there, bro, I was able to, he was conscious and I prayed with him and and, and led him to the Lord, bro. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so, um, and I felt the weight lifted, bro. You know what I'm saying? When I came back, God told me, he said, I was trying to get you 
to forgive because there was some work I needed to do in you because if you allowed him to die without forgiving him, he was going to take a piece of you in the grave with him. Certain things, if you got unforgiveness in your heart towards maybe a father that's wronged you, maybe a parent that wasn't what they were supposed to be, maybe a father figure who didn't turn out to be the father figure you thought that they would be, you know what I'm saying? Like forgiveness is the key to unlocking some of your greatest potential in becoming who you created to be. You know what I'm saying? And just even if they don't ask for the forgiveness, even if they don't come to public to apologize to you, you know what I'm saying? It's like forgive so that, you know what I'm saying, that thing doesn't hold you, you know what I'm saying, in such a way where you can't be all that God has created you to be as a husband and as a father. Uh, that's powerful. Yeah. yeah. That's powerful, Ahmad. Thank you yeah. for sharing that. And um, I pray that, yeah, someone's listening out there that just really speaks to somebody about forgiveness. Um, yeah, um, yeah. You know, so, wow, that's powerful, Ahmad. Thanks yeah. for sharing that. And uh, hey, welcome, bro. I don't know where to go from there. Nah, that's it, bro. Like that's, you know? that's where we at, man. <laughs> that's, uh, that's just yeah. some good stuff. Yeah. That is some powerful stuff. And I have to say, Amai, you are uh, truly a ray of sunshine um, and how God has blessed you and used your story to everybody you come in contact with, our interactions in the past, but just how mm-hmm. seeing you uh, there at MCH and how kids are drawn to you, it's a yeah. gift. And yeah. um, you are a blessing. You're where you're supposed to be. Gosh, how lucky your kids are and your wife. And I know it's vice versa, but uh, you never know uh, of generations that you've changed and how God's used you. But obviously he's starting with your home first. And I just can't thank you enough for, for taking the time just to visit, chat, um, share what's on your heart, share your story. Is there anything before we go that I didn't ask you anything that's on your heart or your mind that, that you want to wrap up or? And we want to leave it right nah, there. Man, that's, uh, man, no, no, I think that's, I think that's the, the key right there. And I just, I would just say if anybody wants to, you know, keep uh, up with uh, maybe some things that I'm doing, they could either visit the website at movementup.net or they can catch me on social media platforms, Movement Up Official, uh, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Movement Up. And so like, you know, to just, you know, keep up with what I'm doing, I'll be sharing some content more around communication that connects because ultimately the goal of communication is connection. It's not just expression. Mm-hmm. It's not just compliance and obedience, but communication is a tool for people to connect in powerful ways. And so, and I want to share some insights on how to help uh, men be more effective with that in, in all their relationships. And so, yeah, so that'll be, you know, kind of closing. If they want to keep up with some things I got going on, that's the way to do it. Absolutely. And again, we're going to have, your website, the show notes that uh, the yes. listeners can click on to and reach out yes. to you again through the social media as well. We'll link all that up so people can yes. reach out to you and anything yes. that you shared that uh, you could just be a blessing to. And as your father, you have so many out there. So, uh, but Ahmad, blessings to you and all that you're doing. Uh, it's been awesome just to to connect with you and uh, hopefully we can uh, grab a, a burger. And next time I'm in H-Town, man, I need to put up Houston on you, man. And- and see what's up. Thank you so much. Thank you. Absolutely, man. All right. Thank you. We hope you enjoy this latest episode of Bear Crawl with Dads. From our brother C.S. Lewis, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending.